When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. Put the yellow tie back in the draw for another six months. The Premier League transfer window is now closed until the summer. Some managers have made their moves, some players have packed their bags, but all in all, a pretty dreary deadline day. Regardless, new recruits on Merseyside as Liverpool and Everton bolster their squads. Arsenal have been busy in the departures department and Big Sam has also brought players into West Brom. But things will go from players on loan to getting in the zone for the Baggies. They play Sheffield United in a huge game at the bottom of the table in one of four Premier League games tonight. Manchester United also in action and looking for a reaction. We'll preview all four fixtures on today's podcast. I'm Niall. Welcome along to Football Social Daily, the only Premier League podcast with a new show every single day of the season. Join us for the ride between now and the end of the campaign by hitting subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and that way you won't miss a thing. Running the rule over top flight affairs today, a warm welcome to Matt Cunningham. Hi, Matt. Hello, Niall. And Stefan Armstrong is here. Hello, Steph. Now and now, you all right? I'm very good, mate. You ready for some straight talking today? Yeah, yeah, I'm surprised I didn't get transferred off the podcast last night, you know, about 11 o'clock <laughs> deal, so I've got away with no. that. Squad numbers are thin, Steph, so we've had to hang <laughs> on to, uh, <laughs> I was going to call you reserve team captain, but we were just uh, talking before oh, no. the show oh, about no. how that's the worst accolade in football, the reserve team captain. <laughs> uh, we won't give you that, but good stuff anyway. Uh, time to get stuck in as we do have a big old mouthful to digest today when it comes to the Premier League. Of course, transfer deadline day was yesterday. And we'll come on to the moving and shaking shortly. But first, the small matter of a huge game at the bottom of the Premier League. 6pm kickoff tonight at Bramall Lane. It is Sheffield United versus West Bromwich Albion. A proper six-pointer if there ever was one. There is a slight glimmer of hope for the Blades, Steph, after recent performances. But if they lose to West Brom tonight, is that the fatal blow that they're not going to be able to recover from? The gap to West Brom at the moment, Sheffield United at the bottom on eight points. The gap to the Baggies is four points. They're on 12. And the gap from Sheffield United to safety is a massive 14 points. So... It's hard to see if they lose to Albion tonight, the Blades staying up after that. Yeah, you would think so. The, the gap, uh, the four-point gap to West Brom doesn't matter. It's all about Brighton sitting on 21 points, and that is a big, big gap, especially if they lose tonight. So, mm. yeah, it's yeah. it's a must-win game for both teams. I think whoever loses uh, tonight, um, if indeed there is a loss, then um, they'll, they'll definitely be down. It's it's unfortunate for Sheffield United because they are finding a bit of form. Uh, obviously, a, a miracle win. Um, at Old Trafford against Man United and a much anticipated win um, against Newcastle mm. but the, their forms just come a little bit too late 21 games into the season and then you start going nah it's got to be over the 38 games so you know it's fair it's fair if, if they do lose tonight that they do go down because they've probably not been good enough uh, do you think from what we've seen in recent games though, Stefan, that Sheffield United are going to be able to make a better fist of it? Because in the reverse fixture, West Brom just about edged out the blades. But certainly this time around, it feels like there is a little bit more momentum behind Sheffield United. Yeah, but it's too too little too late, isn't it? It, don't, it doesn't matter if, if, if recent performances have been great. I mean, that, that void is so big. I, I don't think any team could, could recover mm. from that. It's never mm. mind Sheffield United who... who up front, they don't really. I mean, you want Ollie McBurney to get you out of this situation? I don't think he's gonna. <laughs> Rian Brewster, no goals in 17 games since they signed him from Liverpool for decent money as well. So, yeah, certainly you think the quality might not quite be there for Sheffield United. It wasn't the quality, I think, that kept him in the Premier League last season, Matt. Uh, from a Sheffield United point of view, I think it was the desire, the work rate, the system. Uh, and a combination of factors, probably including the fans in the stands at Bramall Lane. Uh, certainly, if you look at the statistics, the one team that has suffered the most in the absence of fans has been Sheffield United. And that goes right through Project Restart uh, to now. In all fairness to them, is it 
is it unexpected to see them in the bottom three? I know after the season they had last year, Matt, you're probably thinking, yeah, it is unexpected. But on the grand, sch- grand scheme of things, they're a side that's come up with no real star quality. They've just come up with work rate and endeavour and maybe the quality or the lack of therein is just starting to show now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you look at the beginning of last season, if Sheffield United went straight back down or if before they played a game at the beginning of last season, someone said they'll go straight back down, you wouldn't have questioned it. They didn't have really that much quality in the squad and Chris Wilder was amazingly able to get so much out of them throughout the whole season Mm. but I think that presents a bit of a predicament for Sheffield United because now I wonder I mean if any other club was sat at the bottom of the table one of the worst Premier League is it the worst Premier League team of all time yeah they made the worst start ever Matt uh, to a Premier League season so yeah they've got that unwanted record yeah so so I mean the the worst Premier League uh, side of all time so far Um, as we just mentioned miles off safety I'm pretty sure any other manager would have been sacked, but I don't know if you can sack Chris Wilder. This is a, you know, a big predicament, really, because after what mm. he's achieved, what he means to the club, what he was capable of doing last season, and so on and so forth, I think your hands are tied. I don't think you can sack him. I don't know if there's a better man for the job, but he's also just not really producing results at the moment, which was something that he yeah. was so capable of doing last season. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm mm. not quite sure how to pin it, really. Obviously, the lack of fans has massively impacted him, as he just said. And they're certainly missing a goal scorer. It's a, you know, one major thing because they're defensively, they're not too bad. When you watch them, they're not horrible defensively. They're nowhere near as bad as West Brom are um, defensively, but they just don't score the level of goals that they need to score. So I think mm. they're in a sticky situation with the manager. The transfer window's been and gone. And I mean, obviously no clubs have really got much money to spend and couldn't really do much manoeuvring in the transfer market. But I don't see them improving too much towards the second half of the season. I don't, it sounds harsh and... I'm sure Sheffield United fans are gutted because of the way this, things have gone so far, but I think that is probably their reality this season. Mm, I think that you're absolutely spot on about Chris Wilder. I think that he's got too much credit in the bank. And I think he is a good manager, and, and I think the combination of injuries and several other factors as well have affected Sheffield United this season. So I can't see them getting rid. And like you say, the financial impact of, uh, of Project Restart and the lack of fans is probably contributing to the fact that Sheffield United probably don't want to get rid of Chris Wilder and who comes in. So many questions there, but I can't see them getting rid of him. I'm with you on that one. Mm. In terms of being the worst Premier League team ever, if they get three points tonight against West Brom, Matt, that takes them to 11 points, which means that they're level with Derby County, who have the worst points return of a season. Sheffield United have made the worst start ever, um, but they do have a chance to kind of get that embarrassment out of the way if they can win a few more games, because even though it is looking quite gloomy for them, uh, at least they can play for pride a little bit, I suppose. Although that won't be the thinking going into tonight, because they'll know that if they beat West Brom, that, that could be a major boost for them if they are going to stay up. Yeah, I mean, if they beat West Brom tonight, that's three wins in their last five games, I think it'll be. So, I mean, that's really good form. In Premier League standards, that is really good form. Form that you see from teams in the top half of the table. So maybe they are starting to pick it up and that is potential if they do uh, go and beat West Brom tonight. And, I mean, you would think, from a Sheffield United perspective, they wouldn't really be bothered about, you know, beating Derby County's points tally or little intricacies like that. But it does actually save one thing, which is history. You don't go down in history as the worst team or the most unsuccessful team in a Premier League season, it almost saves you, it saves face sort of 10, 15 years down the line when people come back to these stats when there's another Sheffield United in, in 2040 or who have got seven points at this stage. It's no longer Sheffield United because they picked it up and, you know, they may still go down, but little things like that, a lot of people think it doesn't matter. I personally think it does. It's, it saves mm-hmm. that little bit of, of negative history or that little bit of in the future where someone's going to look at them and go, oh yeah, they're pretty bad, but remember how bad Sheffield United were or how they were much worse? You wouldn't have that if they yeah. keep on picking up points in these next few games. Yeah, absolutely. Well, West Bromwich Albion, of course, will be looking for the three points too. Uh, slightly greater chance of survival than Sheffield United, you'd argue. Their new signing, Mbe Dianya, made an impact coming off the bench against Fulham last Saturday. They've also signed Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Okai Yakushlu, both on loan. We'll talk about that a little bit later on when we discuss transfers on the podcast. But that game against Fulham on Saturday, they drew 2-2, Steph. And Big Sam kept the players in the dressing room for an over, over an hour after the game. A proper post-mortem game. Going on in the dressing room. Um, Big Sam actually was in for a bit of criticism from Marley and Jim on yesterday's podcast. They said that Big Sam 
had this bit of arrogance about him and you know his side has drawn 2-2 against Fulham a relegation rival and they just weren't quite seeing where the arrogance of Big Sam was coming from um do you think that you need a little bit of swagger like that as a manager if you are going to try and keep your side in the Premier League 100% big big Sam knows what he's doing he's one of the greatest managers of all time he'll he'll go down in league <laughs> history as one of the yeah, best great man <laughs> <laughs> oh my god the, you know oh the, the style of football that he's brought to the Premier League over the past two decades I love it he's what a guy he is man you know what I mean um, <laughs> now, I, I can see why they'd say that but I think if if you're going into a, a team who is deep in relegation trouble um, you can't you can't show any negativity you've got to be cocky you've got to be positive you've got to be boisterous you've, 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 you've got to go at teams a little bit um, and I think you've you've also got to be not afraid of of getting humped four five nil by the big boys, but giving yeah. it a go as well. Um, well, so they've not I, been getting smashed just by the big boys; they've been getting smashed by everyone, particularly at home. So they'll be quite thankful that this yeah. game's away because well, um, they there, there's a reason there's a reason why Big Sam wanted uh, a, a break in the Premier League. He wanted to sort out his back four. Um, which which he hasn't been able to do, and they they kind of threw it away against Fulham. Um, they they weren't one nil down, but going two one up, you kind of want to see the through uh, the game through, don't you? And and get get some points on the board and be pressurising Brighton and Newcastle, and they missed out on that opportunity. So, um, I I think he's got to keep on doing what he's doing. He's got to be boisterous. Um, he's he's got to go at the teams and. He'll, he'll, he'll be relishing the, the chance at Chef United tonight, especially um, is, is it home mm. or away against Chef United tonight? It's at Bramall Lane, at so they've been much better away from home, as I say, but they did let a lead slip against Fulham last time out. And, you know, if they had beat Fulham and then they get something against Sheffield United tonight, I mean, that certainly changes the landscape of the bottom of the league, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, Brighton winning as well, that's a blow to all of the teams in the bottom three because that cushion between Brighton and the relegation zone is now five points or it might have even been seven points actually at one point. So, so yeah, certainly it's all really close down at the bottom. But, Steph, their next fixtures, West Brom, from now until the 6th of March, after tonight against the Blades, they've got Spurs, Manchester United, Burnley, Brighton and Newcastle. Now, if you're looking at those games, you're looking, okay, two tough games against decent sides in Spurs and Manchester United. But afterwards, Burnley, Brighton and Newcastle, all sides within the crosshairs for West Bromwich Albion, all sides that could be in the firing line for West Brom. So you have to think if if they get nothing out of those games, that's good night for them. Yeah, 100%. In, in those games, Big Sam will be targeting nine points at the best and he'll be chuffed with seven. Um, mm. And then he's just got to hope that results kind of go his way. Um, uh, to do with Newcastle and Brighton but yeah if, if, if he doesn't get seven points out of those games I, I would think that they're really 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 going to be struggling just because they're going to run out of games you know what I mean we're, already, we're on 20 games already so yeah it's yeah 12, 12 points at this, this point of the season is is dire form isn't it so they need to start winning uh, and you'll he'll, he'll need you'll need nine points out of those five games Sheffield United versus West Brom 6pm kickoff this evening the other game that takes place at the same time is at Molyneux where Wolverhampton Wanderers play Arsenal now Wolves have been really poor this season they're in 14th place they're just a point above Newcastle United who have been rubbish this campaign they lost to Crystal Palace on Saturday by a goal to nil do you think we're expecting a bit too much of Wolves, Matt? Have they set the bar a little bit too high for themselves? Of course, they finished seventh in the two seasons before this, uh, but now they're way down in 14th. They've obviously had injuries and they've lost players due to being signed by other clubs and stuff like that. Do you think that they have maybe set the expectations for themselves a little bit too high? Because I was thinking about this the other day and you know, considering where they've come from and the sort of club they are, they are just wolves after all. You know, sometimes we're talking about them like they are a, a true kind of top eight, top six heavyweight, but they're still relative newcomers to the Premier League. It's only their third season back up. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with the idea that it's it, plucky wolves have, have just sort of like managed to get by and done it against all the odds. They do have a super agent on their side and made some great signings. They somehow managed to sign Ruben Neves when they were in the championship. You know, they have managed to do a lot and bring in a lot of good players and they do still have a good squad. But I do this season feel for them with the injury to Raul Jimenez as massively cost them, I think. they Wolves don't really score that many goals anyway, really. If you think about Wolves the last few seasons, they're not massive goal scorers. Mm. They're more defensively sound, get a clean sheet. They might win 1-0, they might win 2-1 type of team, in my mind, anyway. Um, losing Raul Jimenez, they're not scoring many goals at all this season. That makes it worse. 
their forwards, some of them, you know, they look electric, some of them look good, but I don't know, are they clinical? Have they got that end product? Have they got that experience to get games over the line and pick up three points in Premier League games when it really matters? You know, players like Pedro Neto, he's looked good this season, but mm. is he the guy? Is he the guy that can, say, step into Raul Jimenez's shoes and score 20 goals or 15 goals in Premier League this season? Probably not right now anyway. Um, yeah. So I, I do feel for Wolves in a way this season. That injury was horrible, as everyone knows, and it's difficult to replace, yeah. especially in the transfer window this season, the way things have gone. Mm. It's difficult to get a guy like Raul Jimenez in. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right with the goal scoring. Goals for this season for Wolves, 21 goals scored. The same as Newcastle, who are just a point below them and a place below them in the Premier League. Only Burnley, Fulham, West Brom and Sheffield United have scored fewer goals than Wolverhampton Wanderers this season. So certainly goal scoring has been an issue. You talk about replacing uh, Raul Jimenez and they signed Fabio Silva in the summer, the 18-year-old, for £40 million, but he's not really been up to much and who can blame him? He's 18 and probably stepping into the breach a little bit too early. So they have signed William Jose, a striker, uh, on loan uh, earlier on in the transfer window. We haven't seen too much of him just yet in a Wolverhampton Wanderers shirt, but you know if they're going to try and solidify themselves a little bit and climb themselves back up the table, Matt, you're going to have to think that he's going to need to start finding the net sooner rather than later, which is also a big ask for him coming into a new league. Yeah, I mean, I mean he, he's got that sort of um, target man type of build or type of stature about him. And I mean, I don't, I'm not going to say I know too much about William Jose, but... He got a glowing sure. report on, on BT Sports, specifically by Rio Ferdinand, who I'm not sure if he was winging it because he was on national television or he really loves William <laughs> but he spoke very highly of him. So if he's the guy that can come in and maybe just be that Raul Jimenez model, you know, the type of player that he is, the target man that can just piece it all together and get those poachers goals and just make sure they're scoring the goals that they should be scoring and taking chances they should, they should be taking. Um, mm. Wolves can win games. They're, defensively, they're always going to be sound. So... A goal or two goals wins Wolves a game. So if he can come in and do mm. that Raul Jimenez style, one or two chances, take one, then Nuno Espirito Santo knows just as well as any, any manager that I've maybe ever seen in the Premier League how to see out wins and how to set up once they're a goal in front or how to set up against big teams to make sure they keep a clean sheet. They're mm. fantastic defensively. So if he can come in and do that, it could be a lot of a brighter um, second half of the season for Wolves. Yeah, and actually Nuno Espirito Santo has been saying in his press conferences in recent weeks that we might even see Jimenez feature before the end of the season, which would be a remarkable recovery from that awful fractured skull injury which took place in November, I think. In this reverse fixture, a game against Arsenal, it was a clash of heads with David Luiz, which actually resulted in Jimenez getting that fractured skull. So wishing him all the best. Ooh. Do you think that will add any extra edge to this game tonight, Stefan? Wolves against Arsenal because of... What's happened to Raul Jimenez? Of course, it was an accident. I don't think anyone out there believes that David Luiz deliberately fractured uh, Raul Jimenez's skull. That would be ridiculous, I think, for anyone to suggest that. I think it was just a challenge that went badly wrong. But do you think that there might be a bit of added spice to this one because of that? Imagine getting headbutted by David Luiz. That'd be horrible, wouldn't it? Oh, It's not good. Uh, I, don't, I don't know why it would bring any more. It's just a game of football, isn't it? I don't know. It's not nice seeing your teammate on oxygen and on a stretcher and... I don't know, maybe a subconscious thing between the Wolves players that they want to go out and really, you know, put one over on Arsenal because I, I think Wolves actually ended up losing that game as well after the Jimenez injury. Yeah, the, yeah, I can I can see why you'd think that, but I think it'll just be a, a standard Premier League game. Uh, there's no rivalry between Wolves and Arsenal, so they'll they'll, they'll go into it as normal. Um, okay, yeah. well, Arsenal themselves are on a good run. Five clean sheets in the last six games, Steph. And a bit of a statement made in the transfer window by Mikel Arteta and Edu, who's the sporting director. Some real high-profile departures. In fact, a lot of departures from the Emirates, which we'll talk about a bit later on in the podcast. They had a bit of a clear-out, did Arsenal, um, which we'll come on to. But in terms of the league table, Arsenal have played two games more than those closest to them in the table. Arsenal have played 21. The likes of Everton and Villa, who are next to them in the standings, have played 19. Um, Arsenal was still 10th, though, so they're bang in the middle of the table. It doesn't look like they're going to have a Bamiyang tonight, who's still still dealing with a personal issue, and Bakayo Saka's also injured. But on current form, they've looked decent. Since Boxing Day against Chelsea, they've really picked up, and Mikel Arteta seems to have figured a few things out. As I've mentioned before, he kind of maybe got rid of some of the, the deadwood, I guess you could say, in the transfer window, seeing as it closed yesterday. All things considered on current form, Wolves are looking poor, Arsenal are looking better. Are you expecting an Arsenal win? Yeah, I think so. They're looking all right at the minute. And you were spot on there with with the term dead wood. 
their football felt like Deadwood. It wasn't very quick. It wasn't very dynamic. Uh, and he's figured that out over the last five, six games, Arteta. Uh, nice link-up play uh, between Aubameyang and Saka. So uh, it would be good for him if Aubameyang was back tonight. Um, I think they'll also miss Keenan Tina if he's not playing because he's, he's really stepped it up over the last 10 games or so. Um, so, yeah, especially on current form, you, you really do fancy Arsenal tonight, but... They're almost an impossible team to commentate on Arsenal because they some at some moments they look so good, at some moments they look so bad, and it's no surprise that they're loitering perfectly tenth in the middle there. Um, it, it's it's what mm. their season has been, and on on the on the kind of a media bandwagon, a lot of people uh, start praising Arsenal uh, and have been for the last five six uh, games, um, and I think that could quickly change if if it doesn't continue. So. It's it's a big test for Arsenal tonight because Wolves last season were probably a team they were going toe-to-toe with. So it'd be interesting to see mm. what the difference between them is this season. Um Yeah. So yeah. That's a great that's a great point, actually. It's a great point. I didn't think of it like that. And actually on that tact, Steph, I mean obviously they're tenth. As I said before, they've played two games more than Everton and Villa, who will both be chasing Europa League spots after the way that they've gone this season. Do you think that we will see Arsenal get anywhere near those sort of top six spots, those Europa League places, or have they got too much to do? Because, you know, they have improved defensively, 0-0 against Manchester United last time out, who were chasing the title themselves. Uh, do you think it's out of the question for Arsenal to string a run, run together and get themselves back up in contention for those Europa spots? It's it's less of a question of Arsenal, more of a question of the other teams. Can Chelsea stop the slide? Um, is, is Thomas Tuchel going to gonna gonna bring a winning mentality to them does Jose Mourinho stop the sadness and the Tottenham start playing well again can West Ham keep it going do Everton stop their little bit of a rot that they've had do Aston Villa continue playing better than they have done for the previous few months and and get back in the mix um there's 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 too many questions I think Arsenal are are sailing nicely they're an aeroplane going up to 10,000 feet um and if they keep that going, then then you'd expect them to maybe clinch for the last Euro- Europa League spot. But it all depends on Tottenham and Chelsea and, and Everton, really. It is close and we'll have to wait and see what happens tonight at Molyneux as Wolverhampton Wanderers play Arsenal. That's a 6pm kickoff. Now, we spoke about Arsenal's signings. We're going to go into more detail about some of those Emirates departures next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. This is your daily Premier League podcast right throughout lockdown and right throughout the rest of the 2020-21 Premier League season. A new show every single day of the campaign. So hit subscribe and that way you won't ever miss an episode again. So the window closed yesterday. The chance for window for January is now done and dusted, which means that it's now waiting till the summer before we see any new players signing on, unless they're free transfers, of course. But we've already spoken about Bosman deals this season, Steph, and we don't need to talk about it again. Um, interesting reading actually the Deloitte financial analysis of this transfer window Um, in 2020 Matt last season's January window 230 million pounds spent this year 2021 just 70 million pounds spent it's the lowest January spending since 2012 and there was only 24 Premier League transfers this time around compared to the average of 46 across the last three January windows what do you think we put this down to? Is it simply down to a lack of cash that clubs have got due to coronavirus? Is it clubs playing it safe and not taking risks? You have to think that those are elements of it, surely. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably all it is. I, you can, from season to season, the transfer windows, and more and more is spent each year, whether it's January or the summer. This one was always going to be a bit different. I mean, clubs have been losing ticket money and you know gate receipts for how long now? Nearly a year, isn't it? That they've not had... Um, they're not able to sell tickets. And I think not only that, clubs owners are businessmen at the end of the day. Football is a business to a lot of people. Um, maybe not to us, but to the people that own the clubs it is. And if you're not if the clubs are not making much money, you can't really spend much money. That's just the way life works. That's the way, you know, me, you, that's where everyone works. Um having said that as well, it would also be quite misplaced, I think, in society today for the clubs to go out and spend loads of money. You know, if you saw Plenty of Premier League clubs going out spending 50, 60 to 100 million in a January transfer window, given 
the way things are at the moment in this country, it would just be so misplaced. It wouldn't seem right. It wouldn't sit right with people. So mm. I think even from that angle, it was wise for people to not go out and spend loads of money. Although the primary reason will be that they just didn't have the money to spend. Yeah, we've seen a lot of loan deals and we'll come on to some of those in a second. The first place we're going to start is at Anfield where Liverpool have done a fair bit of business. I think they needed to, it's fair to say. Uh, Takumi Minamino has joined Southampton on loan from Liverpool. He's not had much of a chance, has he, Steph, to be fair? Uh, But he has come in from RB Salzburg, which is an Austrian club. And although Salzburg did have Erling Haaland, who's gone to Dortmund and done absolutely amazing... um, Minamino has got Mane, Salah, Firmino and Diogo Jota to edge in front of if he's going to get into that Liverpool front three. Uh, so this is a move I think that probably makes sense. He's going to get more game time at Southampton than he is at Liverpool. Although some Liverpool fans are asking why they didn't take Origi instead. No, because I think Origi nicks you important goals. That's that's Origi's career. That's that's what he does. He's yeah. a super sub and Liverpool will need that in in big games where it's tight and you get into the 80th minute and they need they need a big guy up front uh, and somebody who can finish and that's Origi so Origi stays stays in your squad. Minamino, am I right in saying he was signed last January? Uh, he was, was dra- for about yeah. seven million or something. It wasn't much. Yeah, so there's there's another January transfer gone wrong in my opinion. Um, he he would have been brought into that side. Because he's fairly established at Salzburg, he, w- he was playing a high level of football. Mm. He would have been brought into that side to challenge the likes of um, of uh, Firmino, um, Mane, just 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 to raise the temperature a little bit on the on these front four established Liverpool players. And he hasn't done that. And I feel like over the the year or so that that he's been in and out of that Liverpool squad, uh, Liverpool side, is I don't really ever feel like he's taken a chance. Um, so I'd just put that down to a disappointing signing by Liverpool and this this is him slowly being being shipped out. Yeah, and I think that if you look at the signing of Diogo Jota in the summer for Liverpool, who has been out for a few weeks now with a knee problem and I don't even know when he's going to come back for Liverpool, but they signed him in, I think, September, October time, Liverpool, and look at the impact he made compared to the impact that Minamino made. And I don't think that's any disrespect to Minamino, but maybe the arrival at Southampton might give him a, a chance to really show what he's capable of. Uh, also movement at the back for Liverpool, Matt. Tom Davis was signed from Preston for two million quid before deadline day, which we spoke about on yesterday's podcast. But they've also brought in Oban Kazak on loan from Schalke. Now, I don't think any of us know too much about either Davis or Kazak, but what we can I do. say is I that do. you do. Well, go on, Steph. As soon as you're the German football expert here, what's what's Kazak like? <laughs> Kazak, he, he was a Stuttgart wunderkind who... Uh, who went to Schalke, plays every game and is subsequently going to get them relegated. So that's a dangerous signing. Well, they're struggling at the bottom of the Bundesliga, aren't they, Schalke? Oh, way bottom. But um, out, out between the two of them, I would take Davies uh, simply because he took York City all the way to the League Two playoffs <laughs> in 2013-2014. I knew you I knew you had some sort of connection to either of these obscure <laughs> Liverpool signings. Tom Davis from Preston is an ex-York man and uh, Kazakh is a bit of a wonder kid of German football. Who knew? I'm glad we got you on the show today, Stefan, because a little bit of nugget of information there that none of us would have ever known. Uh, anyway, I'm going to ask Matt, and I'm probably sure Matt doesn't know as much about these two players as you do, Steph. But in terms of what Liverpool needed, they did need some defensive reinforcements because obviously Van Dijk is out long-term, Joe Gomez is out long-term, Joe Ma- Joel Matip has got ankle ligament damage, he doesn't seem to like Nat Phillips and Nico Williams is probably a bit young to do the job effectively. So it was pretty much desperation. I'm not saying that these two signings are desperation, but they were desperate for some centre-back cover. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, as we just said, I mean, me and you might not know much, Stefan does, but I, I don't know much about these players, but you can look at it as a business decision and it's it's pretty low risk or, or no risk, really. You get a guy on loan. I think the I saw that the rumoured transfer fee was going to be roughly £18 million for a permanent signing, so that can tell you what he's valued at or what Schalke think of him. Um, but they don't... To me, Liverpool, when, they, when they're fully fit, they don't need centre-backs. So they're not in requirement of centre-backs. They've got Van Dijk, who understandably plays every single game is probably the best centre-back maybe in the world um, partnered with either Matip or Joe, uh, Joe Gomez and you, that's that's adequate depth and you chuck in one of the academy players um, Phillips or Williams and, and you've got enough centre-backs there to, to crack on with however for this season that's not the case so you bring in Kazak on loan you get to the end of the season if he's really good if he's a, a, a raging success you can keep him and, and you know it'll be a worthwhile signing if he's not he goes back no risk 
Um, it gives them some depth, some security at the back, which they've just not had all season, and it's starting to cost them. So it, it makes a lot of sense. It's, I thought it was good business from Liverpool. I mean, what does it say, though, about those young players? Does it just say that they're not ready, Matt? Is that simply it? Or does it say that Jurgen Klopp doesn't trust them? I mean, what sort of message is this sending out to Nat Phillips, who's now 23, who's been at the club for a fair few years? And, you know, Neko Williams, who's come up from the uh, academy, who's been given a big job. I mean, I think two years ago he was on loan, or one season ago he was on loan at Kidderminster Harriers, and now he's playing Premier League Champions League games at the back for Liverpool. So it has been a big jump. So what do you think those younger players might be thinking now that these two more experienced heads have arrived? Well, I think from Liverpool's perspective, it just says that Liverpool are a Premier League um, competing side. They're a champ- the side competing for the Champions League. They're not, 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 not. <laughs> What's going on? The remix. I'll have to keep that in the show. That was unbelievable. I like it. We're bringing a bit of techno into the show today. <laughs> <laughs> we should look into doing that next next week. I'll tell you what, if there's any listeners who are techno DJs who can provide the, <laughs> provide the backing track to the podcast. I have no idea what happened. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but it was funny, whatever it was. That's an Acid House remix of the show. I think... From Liverpool's perspective, the bringing in two centre-halves, it's, it's not so much that Phillips and Williams are not the right answer or don't have a future at the club. That's not necessarily the case. It, it may be the case, but not necessarily. It's more so that Liverpool are in a situation whereby they need to win right now. They're, in, they're not in any kind of rebuild or have any time to waste. They've got a squad that's capable of, has proven to be capable of, and can do it again, win this, win this season. The Champions League, the Premier League. And for that, you need depth. You, you, can't, you can't be shy in any areas, especially with the quality of those competitions at this moment in time. They can't afford to be shy or underperforming at centre-half because it will cost you games. And it is actually costing them games this season. It's costing them, you know, if you look at how they've slipped down the league all of a sudden, that's not Liverpool-like at the moment. So I think bringing in players, it's not... Obviously, it means that those, those younger lads are not going to get as many minutes, um, especially if the two that have come in do well. It means that they're not going to see as much game time. But... It doesn't necessarily mean there's no future for them at the club. I think there probably will be. Um, but in, in, in a more reserved way, Liverpool have got great centre-halves. I don't think Phillips or Williams even ever expected to be playing this season. Maybe the odd game here and there. But if you were, if you were Phillips or Williams, you wouldn't have gone into the season thinking, yeah, I'll be, instead of Van, I'll be playing instead of Van Dijk or Joe Gomez this season. So I think it, it, it made sense. It was good business and, and, and not too harsh on the, on the young lads that have played for them this season either. I'm expecting to see bicycle kicks, uh, scissor kicks, volleys from 40 yards from Oban Kazakh now, Stefan, now that you've picked him up <laughs> as a German wonder kid. Um, now, from one side of Stanley Park to the other, let's move on and talk about Everton. I'm not sure we'll be seeing too much of this stuff either from Josh King, who finally has his move away from Bournemouth. For £5 million, he's joined Everton. Fulham were also in the race, but he ended up choosing Everton. Bournemouth actually agreed a deal for Josh King with both clubs, and then it was up to King to choose what he wanted, and Everton edged him for the Toffees also sold Jenk Tosin back to Besiktas, so he's likely going to play back up to Calvert-Lewin. Surely he is a better backup than Jenk Tosin, Steph, but also I think I remember you saying on the podcast before, you're not too hot on Josh King, actually. Oh, he's, he's just a one-in, he's a one-in free striker, and I don't I don't know if that's, if that's good enough for the Premier League. Uh, especially, it would have made more sense for me for him to go to Fulham, Um than, than for Everton because I, I don't know how much of a sniff he's going to get in Everton. I know he was linked with with moves to to Man United at one point, um, and he, he's want he's been wanting out of Bournemouth for a long time. But I, I don't know how much of an impact he's going to make at Everton compared to um, any any other striker that they could have brought in. He, he, for me, he's he's a like for like for Cenk Tosin who they've, who they've shipped back to Besiktas. So it. It kind of don't really make you, you sense. You don't think his Premier League experience counts for anything, Steph? You don't think that those five years with Bournemouth where he did score a few goals, he had his injuries too, mind you, but he, you know, he was one of their key goal scorers at Bournemouth and surely you think you think he's as good as Tosin? Yeah, but is he gonna? He's not gonna be a, a focal point for for Everton's Everton's uh, strike force. He's he's not gonna dislodge Calvert Lewin. They, they play a very particular no. type of type of way. So he's only ever gonna be a backup player, really, isn't he? So what what yeah he's experienced um but his his goal scoring rate as one in three in in that league probably isn't good enough to to dislodge any any uh, of Everton's mm. mid I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to drop Rickarlison for him I'm not going to uh, drop Hamas uh, Rodriguez for him I'm not going to drop Calvert-Lewin for him so the chances he's cover isn't he yeah. the chances that he's going to get is are going to be slim so 
I, I, it makes more sense for me to go to, to Fulham and, and try and um, start up something interesting with, with Mitrovic or who, whoever's playing up top for Fulham. So it, I, I think he's gone for the wrong one. But as you say, he's, he's, he's good, experienced cover. Mm. Uh, but I don't think he's setting the world on fire. Tosin out, Josh King in for Everton. Now time to talk Arsenal, who had a major clear out actually this January, which we've already discussed uh, on the podcast today. Mesut Ozil, one that's left. Kolasinac has gone out on loan. Mustafi's also left the club. Um, so has Socrates. So some decent uh, some decent inroads made in terms of Arteta and Edu's plan to try and get the squad a, a bit regenerated. Um, one of the young players has also gone out on loan, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Matt, has gone on loan to West Brom. We mentioned West Brom earlier on in the podcast and we've said how they've been busy this week bringing in a couple of players, uh, Diania and Yukushlu from Turkey, respectively. Uh, Maitland-Niles, though, is slightly different. He's been called up to the England squad recently. He's a young player, hungry player, versatile player. But do you think he'll make a big enough impact at West Brom or will Arsenal more care about the game time that he's getting rather than how he actually does? I think the Maitland-Niles one specifically is good for all parties. Maitland-Niles, he's a good player. I, I like to watch him when he plays. You, you can see something there with Ainsley Maitland-Niles when you watch him and he doesn't really get as much game time as maybe he needs for a player of his age. Having said that, West Brom, he probably will get that game time and he, he, he could be of use to him, especially if he performs well. He could be of massive use to a club like West Brom. Um, from Arsenal's perspective, as you just mentioned, it's him going out, getting game time, trying to progress, maybe... Arsenal just trying to bolster his value so they can move him on or get a better transfer fee for him. I'm not too sure, but it makes sense all around that one. I think uh, it's good for Maitland-Niles as well, specifically because, as I say, you said he's you know England call-up. He's a good player that's not really playing enough Premier League football at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I just wonder what the future does hold for Maitland-Niles because you know he's one of those young players that has looked promising like you say Matt when he has played for Arsenal maybe Mikel Arteta does feel that he needs a little bit more first team football likewise with Joe Willock Steph who's gone on loan to Newcastle United now rather from an Arsenal perspective let's look at this from more of a Newcastle one what do you think this says about the future of the Longstaff brothers Matty and Sean Longstaff who you know, have another player coming into Newcastle United Football Club in their position. That's several defensive midfielders that Newcastle have got now. And they're not really getting games, the Longstaff brothers. If that was you, Steph, and it was your boyhood club, and, you know, there's been discussions over contracts and players possibly moving um, to different clubs, particularly those two brothers, would you be annoyed? Depends Depends what my mentality would be. If... if um... It's a good question. I'd I'd be tempted to a bit of introspection to see to see where my game's gone wrong, because the Longstaff brothers, um, Matty Longstaff, especially I think, um, showed a lot of promise, and that has kind of dipped away over the past season or two. Um, so that that'd be my first question: is is why am I not performing so well? I know Newcastle have had problems. Um, it's not good news that that Joe Willock's gone there for those two. Um, maybe maybe a move to Udinese um, would have been better at the start of the season. For... Yeah, he signed a new two year deal instead, Steph. He was out of contract and he could have gone to Udinese on a free. Instead, he signed a new two year extension at Newcastle, and well, he's barely played since. Yeah, don't don't isn't good, is it? And and Joe Joe Willock's played a lot for the England under twenties, under twenty ones. He's he's had a lot of games for Arsenal, although never really breaking through. So he'll be taking this opportunity to show Atta to what he can do. Um, and Newcastle's probably a good place for him to see out the season. So so that's it's a good signing for Newcastle, but also a good signing for, for Willock. Um, prob- probably does, does spell a little bit of danger um, for the Longstaff brothers, that. Um, but maybe maybe that's why my Newcastle have struggled this season. Maybe they do need to bring in better players in that position. Um, so it seems to make sense for all parties, to be fair. Mm, I think you're right. I think that, that Joe Willock is better than both of the Longstaff brothers and that's no disrespect to them. But I just think when you are in a position where you're a kind of a, a, a player for your boyhood club and you've come through the academy and, and you've shown that you can compete and perform in the first team to then kind of be ostracised and then another player coming in your position of a similar age. Um, that, yeah, that must be frustrating uh, if you are one of uh, Sean or Matty Longstaff. Anyway, that's it for the transfer deadline day deals. Yep, I told you, not too much going on, but there is games tonight in the Premier League. Two kickoffs at 8.15pm, including Newcastle United. And we'll talk about that next here on Football Social Daily. 
Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Two Premier League games taking place this evening at 8.15. There are also two kicking off at 6pm, but time to focus on the evening kickoffs now. Starting with the game at St. James's Park, where Newcastle United welcome Crystal Palace. Both of these sides won their games at the weekend. Newcastle beat Everton uh, shortly after bringing in a new coach, actually, Matt. Graham Jones came in from Bournemouth. He's also a former Luton manager, but he's a big Geordie himself and a big Newcastle fan. And you can actually see the improvement only after a few days and a couple of training sessions. Now, I don't know what that means for Steve Bruce and his methods and how he's training and how much of a hands-on approach Graham Jones has had, but he certainly seemed to have an impact on ex-Bournemouth man Callum Wilson up front, who scored twice. So do you think we'll see a similar thing against Crystal Palace? Maybe a slight change in style and change in confidence? Because even when Graham Jones came in, Matt, they did... The whole spiel of he sat down and did a like a full interview. You know, he's only a coach coming into the club. They they sort of sat him down and interviewed him almost almost as if he was a new manager. So certainly behind the scenes, his impact um, you'd think would be quite significant. I, I mean, yeah, that is that is bizarre to to do all of that with with a new coach, just a new coach coming in. Usually, you don't even hear about a new coach coming in. Yeah, um, mm. I don't know how much difference a coach can make in a few days or a week. But I suppose from a man management perspective, if you can give someone confidence in 10 minutes by the words you say. So if that's what he's capable of doing, if that's what he's done with Callum Wilson. If, if, did you say he has prior experience playing with, uh, with, with, with Callum Wilson? Well, he's a former Bournemouth coach, Graham Jones. He's right. worked under Eddie Howe and now Jason Tindall in the championship. Um, so certainly if you're talking style of play, um, Callum Wilson will be known uh, to the style of play that Graham Jones likes, I guess you could say. So, yeah, I think they have linked up in the past, which I guess can only benefit the striker. Yeah, I mean, I mean, sometimes things like that can just change your mentality a bit. I think maybe it could have just been a bit of... It could have just been refreshing for Callum Wilson or maybe things changed in training and it was just what he wanted and what hadn't been happening that he wanted. And, I mean, Steve Bruce gets so much criticism all the time. I think... I don't know if there is a, a person that praises Steve Bruce ever. And I know he's not done a good job this season. Um... But in a weird way, I do feel sorry for him. I don't, I'm not sure why. He's got all the facilities to have done well and he's, he is probably underperforming with Newcastle this season. Um, if you ask any Newcastle fan, they'll tell you that 10 times over. Um, but I, I do, for some reason, I do feel sorry for him. I, I just think he gets a lot of stick in the media and it seems to just be brushed off. It's just sort of, you know, oh, it's Steve Bruce. He can just take it. It's fine, whatever. Um, but I suppose he does need to be held to account for underperformances. And if they bring this guy in, maybe... They're thinking this guy could go on to be the manager at the end of the season or they're trying to save face. Mm. I'm not sure. It's, it's an unusual one with Newcastle. I do think they're better than the table suggests, but they're not really playing at mm. the level that they're capable of playing at, at the moment, which does generally scream managerial issues. So it's, it's, it's hard to put my finger on what's wrong at, New, with, at Newcastle at the moment. And yeah. may, maybe, this, maybe this coach can come in and start fixing things slowly. But as I said, I do feel a bit sorry for Bruce generally. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not so sure he helps himself too much, Steve Bruce, with some of the stuff he says, that's for sure. Particularly things like locking the written press out of press conferences and stuff. I mean, if you're talking about a man who's under pressure, making decisions like that, kind of ostracising the media, I think that that's, uh, that's a sign that things, you know, were pressurised in that situation at the top of Newcastle United. But certainly looks like even after a few days, Graham Jones has had a bit of an impact. Um, as for Crystal Palace, Steph, they won their last game as well at the weekend, uh, beat Wolverhampton Wanderers by a goal to nil, just doing what Palace do, getting results. I mean, are they better than Newcastle on paper? Matt's just said that they've got good players, Newcastle United, but they've not really been delivering. Um, do you think this will be quite a close game? Oh, no. You always ask me about Crystal Palace. They're the team I've got the least opinion of in the world. These are your two <laughs> least favourite teams in the Premier League, aren't they? Newcastle oh, against Crystal Palace. Oh, so dry. Yeah, both of them are just dry, <laughs> man. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, Palace, they're just, they're just an old cart horse, aren't they? They just, they just go on and on and on and on. They win, they lose, they draw, and they draw, they lose, and they win. And it's just enough to keep them going. Um, good result against Wolves. So, they, they don't go away from home and win. It's but hard somehow, to get enthusiastic about this game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't they don't go away from home and win. But somehow they've also strangely become a bit of a clean sheet specialist. It, it's just a weird a weird position that Crystal Palace are in. 
they, they don't score enough goals. They're not exciting up top. Apart from apart from Zaha and maybe Eze, then yeah, um, there's 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 nothing too much to get excited by. And the same goes the same goes for Newcastle, which is why I think few people will be unless if you're a Palace or a Newcastle fan, few few neutrals will be watching this game tonight because yeah. it's just. It's just, it's just, it's just, just below relegation dryness. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I won't be watching. I'll be watching Manchester United against Southampton <laughs> instead, which kicks off at the same time at Old Trafford. <sighs> and United need a response, Steph, because two disappointing results in the last two games. They lost to Sheffield United and they drew nil-nil with Arsenal. They've looked a little blunt actually up front, but they do face a Southampton side who have gone off the boil themselves. I think this could be quite a close game. Yeah, Man United need to show their beans in this game. They've they've let it slip. Um, the nil nil against Arsenal was. I was just talking about dry then. Now that was dry. That was a tough tough watch. Um, and Sheffield United, yeah, it can happen, but also not really good enough for a team who are, this is probably their most realistic chance of, of of getting a title for a few seasons. So. Yeah, they, they need to pull it out, Man United. They need to show what they're made of here. And they'll, they'll know that Southampton are struggling with a little bit of form. Um, so they'll, they'll look at this and think this is an opportunity to show Man City that we've not given up on this, to show Liverpool that you're going to have a bit of a fight to get above us in the league table. And I'd love to see it from Man United because Man U, for, for the majority of this season, have been, um, they've been a force. Whereas... The majority of last season and seasons gone by, you never knew what was going to happen. I've sat with you in a pub a few times watching Man United games now, and yeah. especially against teams like Wolves, and you would think, oh, come on, Man United, this is yours to win, and and they draw a game. Um, mm. I think the fans out- felt the same about the Arsenal game as well, Steph. They felt that the Arsenal game was there to win. They just couldn't find a way through. Yeah, it's 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 something's just something's just got to happen. Um, it would it would help it would help if they were if they had a bit more fire if they were taking their chances up top uh, they, they don't seem to be taking their chances the last few games but they would set themselves up so nicely that they were a team who who you felt confident would go to Southampton and win um, I just I'm I'm just it's I'm back to that point with Man United where I just don't know what's going to happen uh, yeah. and Man United at Old Trafford just something seems a bit weird there we're talking about Chef United earlier uh, missing their fans and I know the Chip Butty song is really inspiring at Chef United <laughs> but Man United will be missing their fans as well everybody's missing their fans and yeah. it, Old, Old Trafford does seem like a big empty hollow place without any fans mm. um, it's, a, it's a massive stadium it's cavernous I mean I, I'm quite lucky oh. that I get to go there quite a lot and I see it without any fans in and you know, you look at the sort of the banners they've got over the seats and, you know, they've kind of done the thing in some of the stands where they've kind of superimposed individual people into each seat. And you're looking up and, you know, it's just a sea of people and, and things like that can be quite intimidating and quite daunting. And, you know, those fans at the Stratford end at Manchester United, they do they do kind of give that team a little bit of a boost. There's no doubt about that. Certainly when when the game's close, um, but Manchester United have lost six games at home this season. So, you know, if you're going to win the title, to lose six games at home, I think, is um, is unlikely. So, I guess from that... So, go on. Well, this is this is the only year in history where you can lose six games at home and still win the league. You know what I mean? So, the, the chances mm. is absolutely massive for Man United. And yeah. they're still there. So... You've you've got to see a team like uh, Southampton coming along uh, to Old Trafford, who have got several injuries themselves, who are in a dip of form themselves. You've got to look at that, and you've you've got you've got to go for blood, don't you? You've you've got to really really go for it. And mm. I just fear that Man United won't. By the way, if you're listening to the podcast and thinking, what about Minamino? He's just signed for Southampton on loan from Liverpool. Can he play? It's my understanding that he can't play because I think the registration needed to be completed before midday, the day before the match. Obviously, the signing took place after midday, so it's my belief that he can't play. But watch him now go and uh, lace up his boots and stick his headband on and score a couple of goals (laughs) against Man United because I've said that now. Um, Building on what Stefan said, Matt, do you think Manchester United just need to keep themselves in it and hope the others do slip up and that they don't? Because they aren't favourites for the title. I don't think, arguably, they ever really were. Manchester City look imperious right now and they look like they're in pole position. So do you think it is just a case of keeping themselves in with a shout and in the running and hope that other teams kind of slip up here and there? Yeah, I mean, I don't think... I think United's run 
of ever being top of the league is over this season. I think that's probably the other day was the last time they'll go top of the league this season. And they were really, for a long period of time, the beneficiary of City's games in hand. City had two games in hand and United were able to sit pretty on top of the league and pretend like Manchester City weren't going to win the games in hand. And the way City are playing, I just don't think they're going to slip up enough for United to capitalise. You just spoke about how poor they've been at home this season. That has been a real problem. It's been a problem for United, not just this season, but for a while, for a few years. Since fans have not been able to go in, it's been, it's been emphasised and been worse. But, the, the, I mean, United have got a problem with scoring goals. That's what I see when I watch them, is they struggle to score goals. You look against the, the big six, not the top six, but the big six. Uh, they've scored mm. one goal in, I think, seven games this season. And that was a penalty in the opening couple of minutes at home in a 6-1 loss to Tottenham Hotspur. So they just, whether it's the way they're setting up, whether it's a plan um, to try and keep clean sheets, because I don't really know what, what that is. United are a high goal scoring team in the Premier League. In, in most of the games, yeah. they score quite a lot of goals and they've been doing well in front of goal for the majority of the season, but not in those games. Um, so Whereas mm. last season... They were kind of the opposite. They were kind of the big game specialist. They beat you know, beating likes of City, um, Spurs, Chelsea three times, but were struggling in the smaller games. That's reversed this season, and it's it's benefited them in terms of having more points. But it does raise the question marks of whether or not they can get seasons over the line and get trophies over the line, because eventually you do have to play against City, Liverpool, so on and so forth, and you do have to beat them at some point if you want to win trophies, and they've struggled to do that this season. So... I think for United, yeah, sticking sticking around, staying there or thereabouts gives you the best chance. But I would strongly put my money against them winning the league and on City winning the league, for instance, because I just don't see City slipping up enough for United to capitalise now. Well, Manchester United look to reignite their title ambitions at home to Southampton. 8.15pm kickoff. And that is that for today's Football Social Daily. Thank you very much for your time, gents. Cheers, Matt. Cheers. Thank you very much, Stefan. I'm actually just looking uh, at the York City 2013-14 team um, on Wikipedia. Well, I'll tell <laughs> oh, you why, because we've, we've been talking <laughs> about Davies. Here's a pop quiz before we leave. Um, who was the goalkeeper for York City that season? 2013-14. No idea. It was one Nick Pope. Was it really? <laughs> very it good. It was. I'll tell you what, Nigel Worthington had his scouting boys uh, doing a good job that season. There's a blast Bloody from hell. the past as well. Nigel Worthington. <laughs> we are really back in the 90s now. There's no doubt about that. Uh, definitely in the 90s because Matt's off to write some more techno music. Right, that's it for Football Social Daily today. <laughs> we'll speak to you again tomorrow here on the podcast. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Instagram at Sports Social Official. 